Broadcasting from the community of the future. Live from the co-prosperity sphere, this is Radio Free Bridgeport. And now your host, Mr. John Daly. Welcome to Radio Free Bridgeport and Lumpin' Radio here on this lovely Tuesday. But more importantly, welcome back, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you. I had a little uh, unscheduled absence last week. I hope the uh, fill-in host I got you did okay for you. Uh, you know, it, it was uh, a pleasure to uh, to sit in with one of the premier U.S. and global soccer correspondents and authors. That's true. That's true. He's, but we, but he certainly knows more about it than I do. Talking about our local Little League, which was which was pretty great. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was, it was very good to see him. Awesome, awesome. And uh, and glad you're doing well. Thank you. Yeah, it's the first kind of day that I've been up and around. So uh, Good. Well, you know, I'm not dead yet. We're in seven days of no sun, so hopefully mm. we'll get some vitamin D for you tomorrow. Yeah, I've heard about that. I've heard about that. You know, I missed most of it. I was kind of in that, you know, fugue state, rolling around in my bedroom watching old movies, a lot of, <laughs> lot of Doris Day films, uh, some uh, Paul Mooney films. So, uh, you know, Turner Classic Movies is really a comfort when you're uh, when you're out sick. Uh there's been some some films, Jamie. Now that you mention it, uh, two that I want to mention. I don't know if you, if you checked out, which I think you might enjoy is uh, My Generation, mm-hmm. Michael, Michael Caine. Okay. Um, and then I finally caught, uh, which I'm pretty late to, Jim Jarmusch's uh, Stooges movie. Oh uh, right, yeah, g- yeah, yeah. Give me danger. Give me danger. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. I've seen it on the on the queue, and I, I've been meaning to do that. I I was in more of a, you know I really need to see things in black and white, that are somewhat unchallenging. Uh, but I didn't know uh, that Paul Mooney, uh, who was a great uh, actor in the pre-code era, was actually from Chicago. I had no idea, and I was watching a lot of uh, Kim Novak films, like if they had a little festival. And of course, she went to Farragut High School. So uh, even though I was, uh, you know, tied up with all things health-wise, I was still channeling the Radio Free Bridgeport local vibe. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well, we've got a, a great show for you today. We've got the folks from uh, the Field Museum, Tim Bratley's here to talk about an event that they're doing in conjunction with the French consulate. And it's an event that's happening all over the world. Pretty exciting. Last time we had the Field Museum in. Uh, we stumped dead with science, as I recall. Stumped dead with science and, and had a number of... Uh, Taxidermied items, which was pretty exciting. But, I know, uh, I'm, Tim. You, you got to up your taxidermy game. Start <laughs> start canning around taxidermy with you. What's going on, man? I thought the Field Museum that was a that was something that you guys were required to do. Well, no, uh, they don't do it in uh, orientation with HR. You don't learn taxidermy on day one. <laughs> That's you have awful. To work your way up to that. Oh, uh, okay. Tim, Tim, tell us a little bit about what you do over there. Actually, first of all, so I am the uh, board relations and events manager, and so I work in our uh, development office, and I uh, work with our board of trustees, but also uh, oversee a lot of the events that we do at the Field Museum. Okay, so you're an ops guy, basically. Pretty much, yes. Yeah, they okay. keep me busy for sure. Yeah, so you're the you're the me over there. Keep the lights on. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, tell us a little bit about this event because this is a big worldwide gala, as John mentioned. Uh, there's stuff going on in France. There's stuff going on here. How did, how did you guys even get involved with this? First of all, absolutely. So the uh, Night of Ideas is on January 30th, which is this Thursday from six to midnight at the Field Museum. Uh, they were the French consulate office here in Chicago approached us. Uh, being, I think back in the spring of 2019 about potentially being a host venue uh, here in Chicago. It is a global event, as you uh, said. It's in its about fifth year of inception, and uh, the cultural ministry of France started it to kind of uh, 
have a global event celebrating culture, arts, thought, philosophy. Uh, it's in venues all over the globe. It's in cities all over the globe, all on one evening. Uh, in, here in the United States, it's been in LA, uh, New York, at the Brooklyn Public Library. But this is the first time it's gonna be in Chicago. And they approached us last spring, and it was kind of a no-brainer to, uh, to have it at the Field Museum and uh, uh, be a, uh, serve as a host venue. Tell us a little bit about that. The museum itself uh, is a globally recognized collection, and and uh, tell folks a little bit about what you know. I know there's a lot of interesting stuff about it. Yeah, so the Field Museum's been around since 1893. It served as a, a overflow of all the artifacts and exhibits that were brought in for the World's Fair here in Chicago, uh, and they started a museum uh, with a uh, initial endowment from Marshall Field. The um, department store mogul, uh, thus the name Field Museum. So we've been around, we're in our 126th year of existence and Field Museum fuels a journey of discovery across time to enable solutions for a brighter future rich in nature and culture. And so what that means is uh, we have our iconic exhibitions that everyone is aware of, especially anyone who grew up in Chicago. They know about the fighting elephants in Stanley Field Hall. They know about Sioux. Uh, but what a lot of people don't know is that we are a global research institution uh, we have 40 million specimens and artifacts in our collection that are all housed in the building over by the lakefront. Uh, and every single day, our scholars uh, and researchers, scientists, postdocs, curators, they're doing active research each and every day on these specimens and artifacts, and they're making new discoveries every single day. So when it comes to something like being approached uh, to host Night of Ideas uh, alongside the French consulate, uh, it's kind of a no-brainer. It kind of fits in with our mission and what we do on a every single uh, every single day. Now you can't you can't have all of those things out on exhibit right now. So you must have a giant like bat cave Correct. filled with this kind of stuff. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the bat cave full of stuff because I really dig that. Yeah, kind of stuff. the the statistic that is thrown around is less than one percent is actually on display for the public. So if you've been to the Field Museum, uh, there are. Uh, three public areas where we have all the exhibits for uh, the Griffin Halls of Evol Evolving Planet where all the dinosaurs are, or our Egypt exhibit where we have the mummies and uh, antiquities from Egypt. Uh, but below uh, two floors subterranean, we have our Collections Resource Center, which houses uh, many of these specimens and artifacts uh, that is not open to the public, as well as up above Stanley Field Hall, which is our main hall. Up on the floors, uh, on the third floor, you'll see there are uh, labs and collection areas. Uh, they've done a good job, our facilities team, our scientists, to kind of find locations in every crevice of, of, the, of the building to store and preserve all these artifacts. Mm -hmm. Now, John, do you go in the mummy hall? I won't go in the mummy hall because I'm, I'm scared so, of mummies. So when I was a kid uh, in the 80s, the... Uh, as Ricky Gervais would say, Tutankhamun. Uh, so the King Tut uh, exhibit came, and that I was fascinated. I mean, and so I think uh, I, I required that my mother bring me there, like on a weekly basis. Um, and then at some point, I was frightened by the mummies, uh, and uh, and I stopped going. But. Yeah, I mean, I can't go in that room. I'm afraid they're going to get up and start chasing me around. I've well, seen those movies. Vivid yeah. memories as a kid were absolutely the Egypt and everything, um, Egypt in the space, and then. Um, I remember a room of like kind of visual illusions, like a large chair. And um, I don't know, what do you call the room, Jamie, where there's 
one side of it smaller. But death it's just, trap. I call it a death <laughs> trap. <laughs> Anyways, those are the things I remember most. Uh, well, it's a good thing we there's a there's an overnight program uh, where you can spend the night in the museum called Dozen with a Diagnose, but you guys have aged out of that, so I have. You don't have to. Oh <laughs> yeah. man. Oh, man. Uh, we're also joined by Angela from the French Consulate, who's deeply involved in this. Welcome. How you doing? Hi, good. Sorry. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about uh, the state of France's involvement in this. Because, I mean, you guys, uh, I- I'm not, I'm kind of making a joke here, but you guys actually do have a large uh, cultural, uh, world cultural program that you guys export to uh, Europe and obviously to America. So this this program's been going on for about five years, and it's it's not new to you guys. Why did you bring it to the Midwest, number one? And number two, what have you guys learned from from doing this for so many years around the world? Well, um, I, I actually can speak to uh, historical uh, editions of Night of Ideas because I've only worked here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the first one, like mm-hmm. you know. Um, but so it, it was it was started by the Institut Francais, like you said, um, kind of the purveyor of French culture mm-hmm. abroad uh, five years ago. Um, and why why the Midwest? I mean, why not? Uh, we were kind of one of the only big cities in the U.S. who hadn't done it yet. Mm-hmm. New York had so done it. So you're saying you we were the last choice? No. That's what you're saying. I, that's what I'm hearing right here. No. Okay. No. No, 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 no. Not at all. Not at all. Um, yeah, so we're really pumped that it's, it's here in Chicago, uh, finally. And I've been... Um, uh, keeping track of all of the other like Facebook events all over the world, the Night of Ideas one, mm-hmm. and we're killing it. We're winning. We're beating New York. Take that. Okay, that's good. I'm glad to hear that because they're the, they're the real second city. Talk, talk a little bit about the programs you've got going on because you've got three lectures. You have some uh, events for the public as well. But I, I believe the entire night is supposed to be a global collaboration, right? You guys are supposed to be uh, talking with all the other events going on around the globe. Now, some of these events obviously are – uh, are going to be time shifted. You know what I mean? Some of these things are happening at the night when we're in the daytime. Talk a little bit about how that's all going to work and what people are going to see. I can speak to the uh, actual logistics of what the event looks like, and Angela can chime in on some of the uh, specific uh, presenters. But the way we have it set up, the Field Museum is a massive building if you've ever visited. Uh, and it's 6 to midnight this Thursday, and we have programs panelists, speakers that are literally all over the building. It's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. So as you arrive to the museum, you get a full schedule and program of timing of who is speaking and what location. And the way we've set it up is most of these panelists, lectures, performers, they're inside a lot of the museum's iconic uh, exhibitions. So one is in Sue's gallery. So you'll be able to hear from some of our presenters in uh, Sue's shadow, uh, Sue the T-Rex, who... um, so that's kind of how we set it up, uh, which is really fun. Uh, I think it'll be a, a fun experience for uh, for the guest. Yeah. So you, you mentioned there were there are three kind of bigger uh, keynote lectures all happening in like the huge historic Stanley Field Hall, um, and those are uh, Natalie Moore and Amanda Williams to start, and then um, Michael Greenstone, um, the uh, former chief economic advisor under the Obama administration, and then um, a Franco-Congolese novelist named Alain Mabanku. They're kind of our, our our big keynotes, but then we have 150 other speakers um, in for six hours of programming throughout um, the entire museum. So there's kind of something for everyone. Like you said, choose your own adventure. And how did you guys choose the people that 
you wanted to address the people here in Chicago? Because it is an, a, a kind of an eclectic mix. You've got some people that have been around. There's somebody that works at another radio station that I'm not going to mention that's over there. <laughs> but you, you, you mentioned a, you know, a Congolese novelist. How did you – why did you pick the people you did to address the Chicago community? Um, that's a great question. So our, our biggest thought partner um, for the event is the University of Chicago. So if um, you have a look at the programming, a lot of the kind of scholars and thinkers come from um, the University of Chicago. Um, but with regards to um, the um, kind of honored guests, um, including Alain Mabancou and a few other um, French thinkers and talents were, were flying in. Um, we're kind of, uh, we, we went from our kind of themes. We wanted to um, kind of target uh, important conversations in Chicago and then figure out who the right kind of French character uh, would be who could speak to those um, topics. We wanted to be like plugged into the pulse of the city and then find a way to um, bring in a French like influence on that in that conversation that makes sense how are the events connected are there uh conversations that are happening in multiple places at once or uh yes yeah absolutely um so like i mentioned there's there's 150 speakers in in six hours from like 35 institutions so it'll be panels it'll be talks um performances throughout the museum like art installations um there's a lot going on and one, one example, as Angela was mentioning, to bridge the French culture and the French influence with Chicago is, uh, and I'm really excited about it, and I know nothing about it, is Jerome uh, Thomas, I believe, who is a French juggler. Mm-hmm. Is he flying in from France? He is. Uh, yeah, he just arrived. <laughs> okay, great. And he has connected with local Chicago jugglers, and they're actually meeting tomorrow night at the Field Museum for like a little workshop. This first time they're ever meeting these uh, juggling performing artists from France and local ones here in Chicago. They're going to get together tomorrow night, uh, just just them, and kind of meet each other and perform and workshop a little bit uh, so they can be prepared for a Thursday night performance, oh, wow. uh, which is going to be really cool. So let me and, – and I'm asking this question kind of semi-sarcastically, but sure. as the ops guy, these events um, – require a, a high degree of security, too, because you've got valuable event, uh, valuable uh, displays and, and artifacts and stuff like that. You're going to have a, a great crowd of people in, and you've got jugglers throwing around knives and bowling pins. And I know Chicago jugglers, you know, um, they're, they're kind of crazy. So how do you, uh, as an institution, kind of prepare for something like this? Well, first and foremost, our, our security team is top-notch, uh, and we handle many events throughout the year, uh, large uh, corporate events, and when they rent out the museum for their corporate holiday parties to uh, twice twice annually is a beer fest where there's 60 or so uh, breweries that come in and over 3,000 people come to the beer fest. And, of course, I do all the events for the museum for our uh, development office, and we have events big and small. Our security team, they are well prepared for any and all situations. Uh, I do have to keep an eye out when we do have performers to make mm-hmm. sure they are uh, the jugglers are steering clear from any uh, important <laughs> mm-hmm. artifacts. Or any, I mean, Stanley Field Hall is massive, and so they will not be juggling near the uh, the elephants that were brought to the museum in 1907 or near uh, 
Moximo, who's our 122 foot long titanosaur. Uh, so we have a space just for them. For will you juggling. give them any dinosaur bones from the back cave <laughs> to juggle? I don't think our collections uh, managers will allow that at all. <laughs> uh, Angela, you know what does the French consulate and the French government get out of this? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, so uh, the consulate is made up of different departments. There's a scientific, cultural, um, economic. Uh, departments and this project is kind of like a convergence of all of those different um, like spheres of influence um, in the Midwest. Okay, so you're trying to con us into buying French goods. Well, you don't no have to comment. con us. So, yeah, so, I mean, you don't have to con us. I mean, we <laughs> called me this summer while I was in while I was in France, and I had to bring back a number of. Legumes. Yeah, how come we can't get French lentils here? Do something about that I, at the consulate. You know come what? on. I, I'll, I'll write a very strongly worded letter to the ambassador for you. Please do that yeah. because, you know, I go to my local Mariano's and it's very hard to get authentic Lapoy lentils. Oh. And I'm telling you. I think we've got to worry more about the wine tariffs currently. Oh, the wine tariffs are really uncool. Yeah, I mean, is that so, I, just not to get too off topic, is that something you guys are worrying about and, and working on? There's definitely conversations around it. Um, it's above my pay scale, so I, I don't know too much, but definitely. Yeah, people are people are complaining. We people get phone are freaking calls. out. Yeah. Like, what okay. are we? Yeah, okay. yeah, it's a real That's thing. interesting. How um, how big? You know, you you do events like this all the time. Obviously, there, sure. there's there's literally what fifty to one hundred events in your event calendar, probably big and small. Uh, I average about fifty to sixty annually. Yeah. Okay. How many events do you guys do, and how big an event is this for you guys, at the French Consulate? This is massive. Um, this is the biggest event um, we've done since I've been. In, on staff, which is about five years. Um, the only other big, like large scale event that we do is on the 14th of July, Bastille Day. Mm -hmm. So we gather about a thousand people. Last year was a Navy Pier. Um, but this is, I, I looked earlier today, it's, we're at 8,000 Eventbrite registrations now. Mm -hmm. So we've never done anything in this scale. Are, how much, and how much prep did you guys do for this? I mean, how, I, I imagine that, you know, that, Obviously, in in France, the head the head office, so to speak, is handling the rest of this in France and Europe. And how, how much of this was dropped in your lap, though? And, and how many months did you guys have to spend planning this? So much, so okay. much, many many months. Um, I'd say I think the, the the beginning kind of meetings with the Field Museum happened in June. Perhaps? That sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's been it's been since then, um, kind of building the project from the ground up, starting with sponsors. Um, and then building up around that. Um, the, the, the tricky thing was, since it's never happened in Chicago, we didn't really have a template. So we really had to kind of just do the, the kind of hands-on dirty work of like, let's just make things up. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like I said, it's, it's shaping up really well. We're getting close to a sellout point. Uh, I think we capped it at 10,000. Think we're gonna hit it. That's great. What what has there been anything that you wanted to do that you guys couldn't do? Any crazy French jugglers? You could, I mean, you know, you couldn't get Cirque du Soleil to come down from Montreal to to be here. What is there something that you wanted to do that you couldn't get? Oh off? my gosh. Uh, yes. Well, I I um I slid into the DMs of Virgil Abloh. Okay. 
who uh, is, you know, was just in Chicago in mm -hmm. the Museum of Contemporary Art doing um, an exhibit. And he was a perfect kind of like personality who would embody Chicago and, and, and France. He's a culture, uh, creative director in Louis Vuitton currently. How did he take you sliding into his DMs? Oh, my gosh. You know, his, his, his like, assistant actually responded. That's which wonderful. Was really nice. Okay. With a no. Yeah. But, you know, you shoot your shot. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So Virgil Abloh was a big, um, big reach. Uh, we also tried to reach out to um, Chimamanda Ngozi mm -hmm. Adichie. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we, we tried for, for those um, big personalities. Cool. What about you guys in the Field Museum side? Yeah, I think for us it was, um, I mean, this is the inaugural uh, event. Right. Night of Ideas for Chicago. And so it was kind of experimental, uh, kind of the, but for us, we're, we're really proud of the lineup that is on the program. We're really proud of the response that, uh, as Angela said, we have over 8,000 people registered. And for us, it's, it's a excellent opportunity for the museum to be open after hours yeah. and all the exhibits are open and, uh, and, it's open to the public and people can come and just experience the museum, particularly people who work maybe nine to fives and they can't get there on a, on a regular weekday. And so uh, to be able to have the museum open uh, after hours, uh, the great thing too, uh, the, our, our bistro will be open. And as you may or may not know, we have some uh, unique field museum beers that we've collaborated with mm. some uh, I am, I local am breweries <laughs> okay. with uh, Toplin Goliath in Iowa, as well as uh, Off Color here in Chicago. Yeah. You mentioned you have 50 events throughout the year. What are some of the other events I, I mentioned? I was at the gala this year, um, one, of your, one of your premier events. What are some of the, the events that the people should know about? One of, the, uh, one, of the premier, one of my favorite events that I get to do every single year is our annual members' nights. Uh, this year will be our 69th annual members' nights, and it's where we invite anyone who's a member of the Field Museum, uh, which is around 30,000 households, and we open up everything in the museum. And as I mentioned, that there's three floors that are open to the public on a normal basis and four floors that are not. We open up all the behind the scenes areas and they can go and explore it's two nights in a row and we get thousands of people at that uh, event as well. It's great family-friendly event where they can go and interact with our scholars, learn more about the science at the Field Museum, to, uh, see artifacts, see these specimens, and kind of self-explore the places that are normally not open to the public. Well, Tim, next time you come back, I want you to bring some of those artifacts with you, <laughs> and we're going to talk about that, and we're, we're going to have some fun with that. But I did want to ask you, you brought up an interesting point, you know, having the museum open after dark, so many cultural institutions have had to change kind of the way they interact with the public. New York City has obviously seen its museums move to a more um, afternoon to nighttime thing to, to kind of, you know, as you mentioned, accommodate people who work throughout the day. How has going to nighttime hours and having, you know, beer festivals and soirees and events like this, how, how has that changed the way the Field Museum interacts with the public? Well, as you know, I mean, where the – and I, I've only been at the museum for six years – Six years and uh, only six years, <coughs> only yeah. six years. Well, when you talk to some other staff there, and right. they've been there for decades, and uh, and I'm sure they've experimented over the years with different uh, ways to interact with the public. Uh, and it is over at museum campus near Soldier Field, and uh, we we've learned that after a certain time, it's it's sometimes uh, unattractive to to get over to uh, the Field Museum sometimes. Uh, so uh, the evening programs, whether it's a uh, public program like this Thursday that, that's open to the public, or if it's a private event like a beer fest where you have to buy tickets, 
uh, it's a great way for people to experience the museum after hours, which is great. Angela, you said you've been at the council at about six years as well. What are some of the more memorable uh, times you've had there? Um, gosh, um, I really enjoy those Bastille Day celebrations. The one at Navy Pier was particularly good. Um, we'll have uh, directors come um, for the International Film Festival. So Francois Ozon was here last year. That was pretty cool. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, we'll get visits from ambassadors and, and Ségolène Royale was here. Mm -hmm. um, that's, it's pretty, it's all pretty exciting. How did you get involved with this? Were you like a French uh, major in college or? Yeah. Okay. You, you went, did you go to school to become a consulate employee? Can you go <laughs> to school to become a consulate employee? Yeah, I think you do in France, actually. I believe there's like a civil service program. That, <laughs> so yeah, how, how, but what the heck happened? Where, what happened? How, where'd you go? Yeah, well, so I, I, I took French um, as my uh, like uh, foreign language in high school. Okay. Um, was really good at it to, and, and I wanted to keep going to the disappointment of my mother who wanted me to be a nurse. Uh huh. You okay. Know, uh, very on brand for Filipino women, okay. um, but I wanted to pursue uh, French uh, as as my kind of scholarly career, and then I um, met a lot of French people, um, mm -hmm. and really enjoyed spending time with them. And I thought that I wanted, I didn't want to lose the nuance in the conversations we were having, so I kept learning more and more, and then uh, went to DePaul, did a French major, got my foot in the door with an internship at the cultural services of the consulate. Hmm. And then um, at the end of my internship, they hired me um, full staff. Yeah. So you, you basically came to school. Are you from Chicago? Yes. So you went to DePaul here, and then you had an internship, and that turned into a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Do you guys, just for our listeners who, who may be listening along and may be interested, do you guys have any more internships and tracks like that for people out there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we have an intern now actually working on the Night of Ideas. Okay. Mm -hmm. How are they doing? Gonna uh, throw him under the bus here. Killing it, <laughs> killing it. I would be nowhere without her. She's wonderful. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, and I know. I know you have programs like that as well. Over absolutely. The Our intern program in the summer of high school, college age, uh, is robust. We have. Uh, um, I don't want to quote exact statistics, but I believe it's around 150 interns. Uh, some are, pay, uh, or a good bit of the positions are paid internships at the Field Museum. And some are on the floor interacting with the public, but the vast majority are, again, behind the scenes, in the labs, learning and doing hands-on science. Cool. More, I, I don't know what your website is. I know it's just fieldmuseum.org. Fieldmuseum.org. What, what is your website? People want more information about both these things. So uh, uh, ours is consulfrance-chicago.org. Okay, you need to change that website. Yeah, I that's know. Kind of, I'm that's so kind sorry. Of I know, I know. Terrible, terrible <laughs> I know. One. And Night of Ideas, you guys are pretty close to selling out. I know it's on Eventbrite, but it's on your website as well. Yes, you just go to fieldmuseum.org uh, and uh, search for Night of Ideas, and you can register there, and, uh, and it's free to join, free to attend, and we'd love to have you there on Thursday night. So last question, what are you most nervous about uh, Thursday night with the jugglers? <laughs> <laughs> that they'll request dinosaur bones, uh, which I, I don't know if you know that. I mean, I believe they're really heavy. Uh, I believe they are, yeah, too. Yeah, so it wouldn't be a good juggling. Uh, but don't you have, you guys must have some fake ones, some casts. We do right? have casts, So yes. they, they could juggle those? Yeah, Maximo is a, is a cast of right a titanosaur. There. there we go. Guys, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank it's you. been really awesome. We've been speaking with Angela and Tim. Uh, Night of Ideas, it's at fieldmuseum.org. This is this Thursday. Don't sleep on it. And they are a nonprofit, so we can tell you not to sleep on it if you're out there on the, from the FCC. So we'll be right back. Thank you, guys. We'll be right back with more.
more uh, more events coming right up. Welcome back to WLPN, LP Chicago, 105.5 FM. You're listening to Open Radio. This is Radio Free Bridgeport. And we've got some folks in who are hosting an event here at Co-Prosperity Sphere uh, Friday and Saturday. Lee Ming and uh, Lori Waxman, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks Lori. for coming on, guys. Tell us a little about, about what's happening Yeah, here. what's going we on with this discombobulation to, thing? To Boney M, one of my favorite artists. Um, well, Co-Prosperity Sphere decided to put together a series of solo shows for artists using their f- window spaces only, which is quite a challenge. And so they, I think they're inviting six artists a year. And yeah, I'm the first. Up Congratulations. The Thank you. Yeah. I'm Welcome. the guinea pig. Yeah, you are the guinea pig. That's just great. This is great. You're probably the most talented one. That's why you wanted to oh. go first. Oh, thanks. And Lori, uh, you're collaborating with Lee on this. Um, First of all, tell us a little bit about what this exhibit is because it's called Discombobulation. And I see some stuff that references a certain ballpark down the street. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make the wild leap that this is a show about the Chicago White Sox, which I'm super excited about. Okay, not what, <laughs> definitely socks related. Okay. Um, I guess the first, the starting point for me was Boney M, which okay. is in the second window, a Euro disco group. Uh, for those of you out there who haven't heard of them. Um, yeah, and then that led me on to the disco demolition that happened in Comiskey Park. Okay, so tell us why did tell us a little bit about that for people that don't know about what that is. Well, in 1979, it was a radio promotion, actually, a collaboration between a rock station and um, the White Sox, who were having a terrible season, um, trying to get people into the park. So the deal was cheap tickets if you bring a disco record and we'll blow them up between games. And that's what they did. And there was a riot. Way more people came than they expected. There wasn't enough security. They stormed the field. The Sox had to forfeit the second game. Uh, And they didn't play the next day either. Actually, it was funny because we had the um, editor of the Sun-Times who covered that game on another show here on Lumpen Radio, and he was at the game. Great. And he remembered that it was complete mayhem and that everybody was very upset not about anything other than the fact that the field was trashed. Mm. That's that's what mm. people were upset about because they couldn't see the second game because it was a doubleheader against Detroit. We've also had Mike Beck's son, Nitrate, yes. on the show. That's true. We did have Nitrate <laughs> Who on the actually show. promoted the event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, there's a lot going on here. So why – I guess why did this fascinate you? I guess the story um, and the way that the story has been interpreted over time as this um, moment of – homophobia and racism and the way that this has been hotly debated uh yeah by the people that were there at the time saying no no it was nothing like that it was just kids going wild and then you know other people who were there who, were there who had different experiences and also the way that we choose to read this event from the present mm-hmm. and yeah. did you now did you know about this event in New Zealand? I mean, is that where you first got on this? Or It's funny. I, I had seen um, a film called The Last Days of Disco okay. a long time ago, and it was kind of briefly featured, but it, no, it wasn't really on my radar. But something that did surprise me is how kind of well-known, I mean, lots of people haven't heard of it, but lots of people have. Um, and for this cultural, and people say it was the day disco died. 
which I don't agree with, but people... It's probably the day classic rock actually died. <laughs> I, would, I would argue wow. more. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. And so, yeah, that interested me as well. And the fact that an event of such cultural, so-called cultural import happened here in Chicago. Um, Since nothing ever happens here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the story of Bridgeport as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and Bridgeport history is also pretty interesting. Bridgeport history is very convoluted. And, of course, as you, as you know from working and being in this community, Bridgeport uh, had a reputation for being the most racist mm-hmm. and forbidding community mm-hmm. for a long time, though now has almost completely flipped over and is now one of the, if not, I believe it's the most diverse area in the city now, right? Demographically, it has been. Demographically, yeah, it but it was interesting. When I was looking at neighborhoods to move to from New Zealand, um, I did have a look at the neighborhoods that had voted for Trump, mm-hmm. and Bridgeport was... We did not vote for Trump, actually. Oh, I thought it was Sanders. In the, I no, 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 it was we did in not. The, okay. We voted for Sanders. Okay. Yeah, we did not vote for Trump okay. at all. There was Wait. a very small part of, I think, McKinley Park, but no. Viserri okay. did not go for okay. Trump at all. No. And in fact, it was interesting. It's interesting that you bring that up because, um, not to get off topic, but one of the reasons I knew Hillary Clinton was in trouble was that this area is a very uh, hardline Democratic place, mm-hmm. and people at the local bars were talking about how they couldn't bring themselves to vote for Hillary Clinton. They didn't like Trump either, but they couldn't bring themselves to vote for Hillary Clinton, which was a very interesting kind of cultural moment. Mm. You know, but that's neither here nor there. Mm. Now, why did you move here from New Zealand? New Zealand's a wonderful place. The Lord of the Rings are there. Mm-hmm. Legolas lives there. I would not I would never move from New Unfortunately, Zealand. Unfortunately, Legolas doesn't live there. Oh, he doesn't? Where does yeah, he live? If he was there, I might have stayed. Um, no, he, I think he lives in LA, the oh, actor. that's too bad. Uh, I moved here to go to SAIC, okay. School of the Art Institute. Yeah, to do my MFA, and I'm, I finished. Okay. Um, yeah, but that's where I met met Laurie. Yeah. So, Laurie, tell us a little bit about what, what are you doing here? Because your, your day job, you work for the Tribune. Uh, you're pretty closely tied with the art scene here in Chicago. What brings you to the uh, Co-Prosperity Sphere? Well, I really like to dance. Okay. So, I'm just here to dance disco in a window. Okay. Um, Is that while, while writing. <laughs> while actually doing what I can do properly, um, which is write art criticism. Not the kind of right for the Tribune. So I do this weird side project called the 60 Word a Minute Art Critic that I've been doing for about 15 years. Um, And this is a little offshoot of that. Um, It's a project where I write art reviews for anybody who wants them. Okay. Instead of like at the Tribune where I write them for shows I choose. Um, So here it's for the asking only in this little offshoot of the project. It's specifically for artists who need them in order to put the application together for their O-1B visas. Okay, what's that? O-1B visa is the artist visa that you try to get if you are a foreigner and you want to live in the United States and you want to have um, a visa that allows you to work here legally in the arts um, and you can't swing marrying an American or getting a visa in some other sort of way. You'd recommend marrying the American rather than That's what I did personally and it's worked out really well for me. Okay, good job. But how difficult is it to get a, a, I mean, you're making it sound like it's a real hellacious process to get this visa. It is a real hellacious process to get this visa. Um, I've helped various artists over the past couple of years when I've been asked to sign this letter or that letter, um, basically sort of certifying that someone is a legit artist in their field and has a certain amount, enough respect that the U.S. government should consider them a legitimate professional artist, actor, et cetera, et cetera. But, oh. I was just going to ask how one requests such, yeah. a, such a critique. Like in the performance? You said anyone who requests it. Ah, so 
Yeah, basically there's an email address, critic at 60wordaminute.org. You send me an email saying that you need a review because you're doing your visa application process, and I will give you an appointment um, on one of the three days in February when we're doing the performance, and I'm going to give those out until there are none left. So people are going to come here with their artwork, or you're going to go to their studio? I am very lazy, and I'm going to sit in that window. Okay. Um, so but, people are going to hold their art up to the window? Because <laughs> that would be really be, cool. Be, that'd be really, really cool. Um, there are two different ways that people can participate. If you're an artist in Chicago, then you come on down, you bring your work in, reproduction, actual work, depends what you make. I look at it, I write the review. If you are an artist outside of Chicago, you can participate remotely by sending in work via link, via email, any kind of way that you can get it to me, I will take it. How long have you been doing this for? Um, well, I've been a professional art critic for 20 years, but I've been doing the performance for 15 years. Oh, wow. So can, let me just back up here. So you do all sorts of art, whether it's performance art, figurative painting, sculpture. Can we make the people who have to perform, like do it right outside the window, and then can we film you watching them? Absolutely. Because even, even if it's kind of cold out? I mean, you can't force them to do things they don't want to do. No, but I'm just saying if they want to do that. Yes. Okay, that would be wonderful. I like live performance. Okay. So, people, if you're listening, what's that email address again? Critic at 60wordaminute.org. Okay, right. So, just dance outside the CoPro on 32nd place while Lori's in the window. I think this is a wonderful, I think we're hitting the sweet spot here. But you have to make an appointment to that's do why, that's so. That's why I keep yeah. the email out. You know, you make Protesting from local parishes is not, is not included. That is not included. That was for another art show. <laughs> Let's not even go there. Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping somebody protests the art show that we have up. That would be wonderful. Um, tell us a little bit. Both of you guys have kind of wonderful backgrounds. You were a Power Ranger. Mm-hmm. What's going on with that? Um, yeah, I, I've done quite a lot of acting mm-hmm. back in New Zealand, and they have been filming Power Rangers there for quite a long time because it's much cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a wonderful place with a wonderful rugby team. Yes. And I th- assume that Power Rangers want to watch rugby. Ooh, I don't think there's been a storyline about them watching rugby. Hmm. Um, That's a missed opportunity. Yeah, but no, no, it was fun. Um, I had my own stunt person, a, a, a number of different stunt people. Um yeah, and I these days, if I'm lucky, I get to go to conventions and sell my autograph to people. So what were you? Which, which ranger were you? Silver. Silver ranger. Yeah, so that's like a special one. They don't always have a silver ranger. So let's back up here. What, is, what does it mean to have your own stunt person? What, does it, what do you mean, what does it mean? Just what I mean, what does it mean? I what, mean it, do, it's they, kinda, do, do they follow you around and make sure you don't get hurt? I no, mean, no, it's just, uh, you know, there's a lot of fighting, in okay. the, and I was, I'm not particularly able in that area. But, you know, everyone, even the able ones, have stunt people. They're all okay. from Japan, okay. because that's the deal. And, um, yeah, it's quite funny to go on set in the morning, and then you see someone that kind of looks exactly like you, wearing your clothes with the same hair and the same makeup. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not you. But I mean, but you guys have masks on, right? Not well. Okay, so that's it. But the Power Rangers are also normal teens, right? Okay. And so I played the normal teen. Okay. And then when they have the masks on, and it's actually a rule that the the actors can't wear ever wear the mask. Only the stunt people can wear the mask. Okay. Um, this is so deep on Power Rangers. Yeah, I've never, yeah. And then, this is um, incredible. Guys. And so then we record the the voice uh, the voiceovers for the fights later. Okay, so yeah. L- let me just power. power. Oh ah. Okay, so 
for people that have no idea, John and I, John and I know what power. Tell people briefly what Power Rangers are if you have no clue. Oh what we're lord! About. I mean, it's uh, it's been around for a long time, twenty five yeah. years. It's like a franchise of. Uh, to sell toys, what superheroes? Yeah, they're ro- are they not Five. robots though? They're they're people. They're right? people, but they have special powers and they can transform into into a giant robot, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, they've got the they've got toys that transform into giant robots that help them. Okay, they're different. Uh, it, it depends. There's been different groups. So yes. at, at times they were, um, you know, I think there was a group. You said uh, you mentioned the Zors, right? That was uh, yes, uh, like dinosaurs. Okay. Right. I think there was some car. There was some cars, emergency vehicles. I think there's been a bunch of. Yeah, different. I was in the car one. I was in the car one. There we were sit, we were sitting in a garage. Okay, so yeah. did, I've heard people didn't get along with the Pink Ranger. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> there are so many Pink Rangers. There wasn't a Pink Ranger on my show, oh, so I couldn't dear. possibly comment. How? How? What? What made you decide to? Uh, get out of acting New Zealand, which I've got to admit sounds pretty sweet, well, it's and not, come to Chicago. Well, okay, acting is not really sweet for 95% of actors. It's a really yeah. hard life. It's really hard to get work. It's kind of demoralizing. You hit a certain age and like, like oh. You when age start, out of being a Silver Ranger? Well, it's not even that. Like you get, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I was even 30 yet and suddenly I was getting put forward for mom roles and that was it. You know, it's just, and it, <sighs> yeah, there's lots of issues. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I like making art um, yeah. a lot more, um, but I would not be averse to getting more acting work here because if, if it paid well, like I would be very happy to have a guest role in Chicago Fire or something. In fact, I would love that. What brought you to SEAC? Um, I applied for a bunch of schools. I wanted to come and study in the States f- for various reasons. And um, yeah, this one, I guess, gave me the best offer. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the teachers that I want there were some good people that I wanted to work with. Yeah, but it, yeah, Chicago is a wild, strange place. Why? I mean, why did you choose Chicago over New York or, or say Los Angeles? Uh, affordability. Okay. That's, that's I mean, a, that's a great. I mean, role. that's a really great reason. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to have uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt mm-hmm. afterwards. Yeah, and I wanted to be able to. That was actually a really big. Mm-hmm. Factor. Yeah, yeah. I've, you know it's interesting because I mean, so many people come to Chicago and make great work, and then they go, they go to the coast after yeah. they've got their name established. So, well, Laura, you're from you studied in New York, right? No, I studied here and New York. Okay, but your PhD. I was just thinking, and you got your PhD from New York. Yes. Yeah, but then you came back here. Like, what did you? Um, the artist I married, which is why I have a green card, got a really good job here. That's how we ended up back here. Did you go to McGill? I went to McGill a really long time ago. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm from Montreal. Yeah. Well, that's why I asked. Yeah. 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 Okay. And you've got interesting. Well, you're Canadian, which means you're a wonderful person, obviously. It's obviously. Interesting thing, but you. We're all Commonwealth here. It's true. We are. We are all Commonwealth in the studio today. Uh, but I just you, love Montreal. <laughs> you had a very nice bagel the other day, actually. That was exactly. a Montreal-style bagel. Um, you were talking before the show that you went to a very small school and you played rugby as well, which is a wonderful thing. Tell us about that experience. I feel like this relates really well to the Power Rangers experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this, this would be mine. Uh, so I went to a high school, and being both a sporty and intellectual person, I had to play all possible athletic teams. Um, there was a new team opened up when I was in, uh, the years are not the same. I don't know, like the fourth year of high school there. It's called different thing. 
uh, secondary four, uh, which was the girls' rugby team. And so I tried out and I got on. Um, I am not a large person. You know, they can't see you. This is radio, I know, not TV. I Just, know. Um, you know. Actually, we're both not large people. She's a very petite Power Ranger, and I was a very petite rugby player, and it didn't go well. I fractured my spine. Oh, my gosh. I shouldn't laugh at that, but uh, yeah, that, I fractured, that, is a, that is funny. I fractured T12. I was like like a wing, like way, way, way out. I should never have been tackled in that way. Um, but I was, and that was the end of my rugby career. And you said the entire team had to dissolve, in fact. Yeah, we had so many injuries, so many broken collarbones, so many other broken bones, torn ligaments, that there really there was no one left to play the next year. I tore all the ligaments uh, in this thumb right here, and I was a loose head prop. I just, I was done. It doesn't take much to... It doesn't take much to get seriously injured in rugby. <laughs> and and not have any desire to do that again. No, not at all. So, Lee, Lee, tell us a little bit about what people can see at the exhibit, either yeah. walking by or can people experience the exhibit inside the co-prosperity sphere? I haven't thought about that. Well, okay. No, it's, it's, it is more a window show. So it's more yeah. for people outside. Yeah. Um, first, I believe, for the space is I found these really cool vibration speakers because I work with video a lot and the sound in the video is really important and the thought of being not people not being able to hear wasn't right for me. So I found these special vibration speakers that attach to a window mm-hmm. and turn the window into a speaker so you can hear the music, you can hear the dialogue. So there's, uh, there's uh, video, there's big stuff in the windows. You'll just have to, life-size prints, you'll just have to come and see it. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I'm here, so I, I can. But for our listeners who may not be able to see and it. And then, um, no, but, but also um, on Thursday, oh, every Saturday, so mm-hmm. the 1st, the 15th, and the 22nd, from in the afternoons, early evenings, Laurie will be in one of the windows performing, typing. Yeah, and the other two windows, you'll see, um, one, one of the windows is dedicated to Boney M, who we can talk about more if you want mm. um yeah and there's a video where i reenact all four members of them okay yeah okay and to the song sunny mm-hmm. and then there's yeah more life-size cut out in a lacroix palm tree yeah yeah and the first window like we talked about is uh, a disco uh demolition window featuring uh steve dahl and a disco ball we tried to reach out to steve and we never heard anything did we i'm not sure that we've officially tried to reach out to steve was his, was his I've, publisher? Maybe. I've got mixed opinions. Yeah. I mean, his voice has so saturated the dialogue already. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we need to hear more from him. What about, well, let's just talk about Boney Ann then. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with talking about Boney M. <laughs> so how did how, you hear about him? About Boney M? Boney M was all over I, the radio. My I mean, Canadian friends actually yeah. played, but my buddies who left to play hockey there were yeah. completely fascinated with that song. And yeah. I, I, I mean, I for the last... I don't know how many years. It's every Friday night that's plastic. Yeah, I'm Which surprised song? people did Rasputin. Rasputin. I'm, I'm surprised people have not heard Although they worked yet. in Russia, too, so who knows? Well, they never cracked the U.S., ever. Yeah. They tried. Yeah, but they were very popular in the Eurodisco scene. Oh, they were yeah. very popular in the U.K. Yeah. They were hugely popular yeah. most other places. It's kind of interesting that they... Yeah. But do you know where they're from? I thought they no. were Caribbean. Do you? No. Because it's funny. Lots of people that listen to them assume they're from the U.S., no, I don't think they no, are. No, they're not. They're actually, well, they're from, they were formed in Germany. Oh, are they? Which is I, pretty interesting. Yeah, I thought they were from like Grenada or the West Well, they, they were born there, but then okay. they, you know, immigrated to mostly, three of them to England, and okay. then they moved to Germany because there were 
better job opportunities for entertainers right. ended up in Munich. Oh, so they are they were born in the Caribbean and they moved to yeah. England and Germany as then. children. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, and then moved to Germany as adults. Gotcha. Yeah, and then they were part of like the Maroda Eurodisco scene yeah, yeah, with yeah. Frank Farian. Uh, it's, yeah, it's I just find that kind of a fascinating story. Well, I mean, they, 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 there was a lot of groups like that though that worked over uh, in that scene because that scene was very producer based and like artists would come in. I mean. In, in Britain, Stockake and Waterman were mm-hmm. a huge mm-hmm. production shop house kind of churning that stuff out. And Marauder was, was another one. It, totally. it actually doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I mean, that's something actually that most people don't really know about that whole Euro disco scene was that it was largely, you know, one guy, you know, or two guys writing the music and then a bunch of people playing the music of one guy. Mm. You know what I mean? And they were all centered around labels and all centered around production houses. Yeah. But it's really interesting in terms of, and this is partially what the work is about, is, mm-hmm. is ideas of authorship, like mm-hmm. who wrote what. And I, I guess part of the scandal about Boney M is that not all of them sang. Yeah. Um, and the guy in particular, Bobby, he was, you know, lip syncing to this white guy, Frank Farian's vocals. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that mean? And you know, in terms of royalty and who gets the credit, and I guess like at least with the Maroda summer model, you know Maroda was named as a collaborator. Right. She got songwriting credits and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's just different. He got, pub- he got publishing though. Different, yes. Publishing it's, is what you want to get. Totally, that's the most, yeah, that's the most lucrative. Yeah, yeah you true. want to get publishing. It's true. Because yeah. so, Frank know. Farian, as I recall, he did that on a lot of songs, and he got uh, he got publishing credit as well, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but to be fair to him, he also was showing up and doing the work. Millie Vanilli was the same thing, though. I mean, you had the you had the band that was performative, and then you had the people that were doing and creating the music. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily fair that the performers didn't get the, totally. the same remuneration, but that's not really. That's just how, unfortunately, performers kept getting screwed out of money. And totally. they were largely black performers. Well, totally. And the thing is, Boney M, I firmly believe, would not have been as popular if they had different performers. Yeah, probably not. Like, I think that was crucial. And, yeah, that's the whole point as well, like, in terms of authenticity and cultural production. Like, where does it stop? Like, some people are, you know, appearance and um, cultural production, you know, that you know how they're meant to be separate. But I, and, Well, and they saw themselves as a, as a West Indian sort of band. That was the vibe they had. And yep. all their record covers were palm trees yep. and stuff like that. I mean, I, I actually, no, I know my Boney M. It was they were popular. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in England and Scotland, yeah, when yeah. I was a kid. I mean, their first album was like seventy six or seventy seven, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they were they had that kind of island hip vibe that um, people would mind later on in England too. You know, right through to uh, Twin Tone and, and totally. all that stuff. Totally. You know that that had a big uh, cultural appeal back then. Yeah. You know. So, I mean, as a probably a what a nine year old kid in '77, I probably didn't really care about Frank Farian, you know, totally. singing. But you know, like totally. the group, you know, that's a different thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. How long is this show going to be up for, guys? Till the twenty second of February. Okay. So that yeah, that last Saturday, and Laurie will be doing your her last set of reviews till eight p.m. And how that how will many be people have signed up? Oh, I hesitate to say this live on the radio. Um, there's 30 spots, and I think there's two left. <gasps> okay. But but there's always like a 5% no show, so it's good to get a couple on the waiting list. Okay. I mean, that's amazing, though. And something I just wanted to bring him home, I guess, is how hard it is to get an artist visa, and mm-hmm. that I know that there are lots of really talented artists who trip up on the, the, the press thing. So, yeah, that was part of the thing that 
kick-started my thinking on getting Laurie involved was yeah the press. What is press anyway? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that, but that is it shows me if you've only got two left out of thirty, that's there's obviously an appetite for this. There's a need for it. Yeah, I mean the performance. Normally, I would think of it more as an appetite, like people just really wanting that kind of critical feedback. But in this case, it's a kind of dire need. Um, you need to fulfill all the requirements of a visa application if you have any hope of getting that visa. And if this is where you want to be in work for whatever number of reasons, you need them. You need that press. Yeah, and the fact that it's being published in Lumpen magazine, which has got a circulation of you know tens of thousands. I mean, it's not massive, but it's certainly reputable, and that will count for something for sure. And this is a strict requirement on the, on the O visa? Yeah, there's no way around it. Um, I mean, there's other requirements as well, but you need the press to prove that you have respect in the profession. Quote unquote, like critical, quote unquote, critical acclaim or... Yes. And, and this is proving that you have, um, I mean, is it the same as an H-1B or is there a different, or is it the same kind of idea or different? I don't remember the requirements for the H-1B. It's basically that you're, um, you have skills other than, you know, that aren't found uh, domestically um, or that are unique. Well, yes, it is to, there is a kind of uniqueness aspect to it, um, but it's not so much that as proving that you are recognized for what you do, hence the press. It's not Mm -hmm. just you have the skills, Mm -hmm. it's not just you are a good artist, it's you are a good artist and you show and you're recognized for it. The having, you know, I used to work in the U.S. Senate and we were were constantly dealing in constituent services side um, with these issues, even though theoretically... The State Department and, and Congress are separate branches of government. They're not supposed to comment on one another. But it was the majority of what we dealt with at the time. Uh, you know, that time was just right out of uh, the Afghanistan and Iraq war. And um, even though a lot of those engagements are still going on right in 03 and 04. Um, and I don't think it's gotten any better since then. No, I think it's gotten a lot worse. Yeah. So we're sort of doing what we can, what little bit we can to try and help. Did you have a difficult time getting your visa? I don't have an artist visa yet. Okay. Um, so I actually signed up for Laurie's. Okay. Um, no, I've got, I'm still on a student visa. Student it's visa. been extended. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's daunting. I don't know a, because you also generally have to go through a lawyer, which costs a minimum of $5,000 yeah. um, and no guarantee that you'll get it. So there's that. And it, it's incredibly daunting. Like you need a, tra- a track record of the, not record, but future plan in the next three years to prove that you've got these shows on and these art fairs on. And, you know, it's it's incredible what you need. So right. um, we'll see. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So Discombobulation formally opens Saturday? Yeah. What time? And, um, 8 p.m. Okay. So we're going to have a Boney M a tribute performance to start things off, and then we're going to have a disco dance party with two DJs, DJs Robin Deacon and DJ Fortune. And it's going to be... A good time. Thank you both yeah. so very much. Guys, thanks so much for coming. So uh, Lord of the Yum Yum had to cancel. He's got some work engagements, but uh, we're going to have live band next uh, next week, I guess. And Thank we got you, some man. other people up next week, too, but I just can't remember who they are off the top of my head. I'm sure it'll be a lot there'll of be, fun. There'll be some guests or whatever. Anyway, thanks for listening to Radio Free Bridgeport. Thank you both. You're listening to WLPNLP Chicago, 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio.